Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. I know many of you were praying for the Polish waiter that um, we met when we were down at Keswick, when Elizabeth and I were down there. And um, we're stirred, actually, we're encouraged um, by the godly coincidences that took place as um, various people came alongside the, the fellow who sat beside us at the meeting in the convention tent who just happened to have visited a Polish congregation uh, a, a, a week or so before and just happened to have in his bag um, a, a booklet, a, a book a, in Polish about the Bible which he left in the hotel where the same hotel that where um, the Polish waiter, Damien, was working. He just happened to be staying there as well and, and left it for Damien and spoke with him and left it at the, the, the counter at the desk of the hotel. And those connections have continued and it's an encouragement to you. Um, we wanted, obviously, I wanted to make sure that there was somebody in Keswick to um, follow things up and to be there and to speak with Damien and listen to him and hear his questions and to journey with him. And through, obviously, the connection we have with Scripture Union, John Mowat, who is a colleague of Elizabeth's, he said, oh, I know a fellow. He said, it was a good friend of mine, Murray. Um, he is now, he's a Scottish guy, comes from our broth. He's now the facilities manager down at the Keswick Convention, obviously the big site there and obviously, you know, all the year round, there are people who are working for that organization. So we got in contact, and we were starting to chat, and then Murray said in the phone, he says, oh, he said, my Polish is not very good. And I thought, well, I wasn't expecting to really speak. He said, but wait, he, said, he said, although I've been out doing one or two um, speaking at some youth camps outside of Warsaw over the last few years, another connection, another connection with Poland. And so just to let you know that last week, when I went back down last week to meet with Damien, we met up together. And, and they connected, and there's obviously a, a good connection there. And just as we sat, as I sat with Damien and, and talked to him, and he's got many questions, thinking through a lot of things, as he said, and I'm sure we all sense that when we're with people on a Sunday morning like this, or when we're talking with a Christian, and we sense that a real sense of fellowship, and then, of course, Monday morning arrives, or a Thursday night, or whatever it is, and, and things seem more, rem- more removed, then he does need that continual connection. He is seeking and searching. He's thinking through. He comes with a very nominal background of, of, of faith. He, he went as a young man to the Roman Catholic Church. Obviously, in Poland, that's his background. He, he shared that when he was about 12 or 13, he was there with his mum. They are on some pilgrim's route in the part of Poland where they live. And no, I'm not saying we're commending this. I'm just telling you what was happening. Some holy relic was getting taken around, visiting various churches. But he was there with his mum, and he was about 12, 13, that kind of age, you know, where. Uh, and he just suddenly felt overwhelmed with a sense of God's love for him. And he started crying, and then he was all embarrassed because he was a kind of teenager. And I said, even then, God was telling you that he loved you and wanted you for himself. And the man, the man actually just started crying again. This time he was a man. But God is definitely a work. Many questions. He says as a young man working with folks, well, if I become religious as a Christian, then will not folk think I'm odd? And I said, well, yes, there is a cost. Jesus said, take up your cross and come and follow me. There is a cost, especially for people and younger people in their teens and into their 20s nowadays in our contemporary society. It's a radically different road to go the way of Jesus. So rightly, rightly, he has to consider all these things, but he is. And the Spirit of God is clearly at work. So continue to pray for him and for Murray. I will pop down at some date later on. And I think we might get him to come and visit us at some point. So you never know. Some Sunday he might even be amongst us. But thank you for your prayers and encouragement that God does work. And he does add to that number those whom he is saving. Let's pray together. 
Lord, as we thank you that you are a God who does work, who is faithful to all your promises and true in all your ways. So we ask, O Holy Spirit, that as we come now to read the Word of God, that you would indeed give us ears to hear so that we might hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read together this last letter in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, and we're reading from verse 14, and we're reading the letter to the church in Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3, and over the Sundays when I've been back and forward with you, then we've been looking at these, and um, as I say, this is the last one this morning. Verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put in your eyes, so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The post office, if you still call it the post office, I think we do, is struggling. Um, the days of personal letters being sent now is relatively rare. I mean, especially some of you folks. When was the last time you wrote it? Probably you did it last week, Karen, so I'm going to ask you. When was the last time you wrote a, a letter to someone and posted it? Uh, it was thank you cards thank after you camp. Cards. Thank you cards after camp. Well, good for you. Good. No idea, Nick. No, I don't know. Because you, you don't. You don't. You don't. You don't. You don't really, do you? What about the rest of the congregation? When, do we ever post letters? You still, oh, I see. As you get towards the back, there's obviously more of a, yes, yes, yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. Um, somebody recently I know was, was, was going to have to write a letter. They actually had to ask one of their parents how you did that because it was so rare an event to actually have to write a letter. It's not very common. And so the post office is struggling. Um, although sometimes you wouldn't think so because the, gone are the days when they used to carry that sack. Now they've got a trolley, haven't they? I mean, that must be quite an easy job. You just walk around with it. Um, but that's because, of course, now, instead of delivering personal letters, they tend to deliver parcels, and they do a lot of that. Sometimes, obviously, the special delivery, or sometimes in their, in their the wee trolley. And also, and I don't know about you, but they send a lot of, put a lot of gumph through the door, don't they? And that's the problem, isn't it? Because you get all these letters, inverted commas, 
and, and you notice them, they're white envelopes, and, and, and sometimes they have a kind of logo, and you just know by the look of them that it's not something particularly interesting, or even something you probably particularly need. But nonetheless, you maybe have to have a look. I remember my father-in-law, when all this started, all this gumfer way back in the 2000s, he had the mindset that many of you would have had, that every letter was important, every letter had to be opened, every letter had to be read, and then was carefully put aside. And I remember when we used to go and sometimes tidy up here his chair, after my mother-in-law went into the home, his chair, and then right beside him was another chair just for all the bits of paper. All the bits of paper had collected because they thought, well, I better keep on to it because it might be something important or, or official. Whereas we tend to think, put that in the bin even before you open up. And I have to confess as a minister, there's been one or two church correspondents, not from you, not from you. There's one or two letters from the UF that have ended up in the bin. <laughs> and then somebody says, well, what about that meeting? And I thought, well, I don't know anything about it. The shredder. <laughs> Well, these are letters that deserve to be opened. They have the imprint on them. And indeed, I got a letter recently, and, and it was, had a very impressive, uh, the coat of arms of the House of Commons, you know, the, the, the gate thing, what do you call that thing, you know, and the wee crown and all the rest of it, you know, that thing. Um, and I thought, oh, I'm never going to get invent, invited down to, you know, to Westminster or something. No, it was just a circle from the local MSB. But anyway, but uh, this letter, these letters have the imprint of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as we've looked at these letters, they deserve to be opened because of who they're from. They're not gumpmere. They're not just circulars. They're not just things that are sent out in the vain hope that somebody somewhere might be interested. They're directed to specific churches in a particular setting at a particular time, but they're also letters given to the church of Jesus Christ for all time, right at the very beginning in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, after John saw that vision of the glorified and exalted Christ, here is, yes, the man of sorrows, but here also is the Lord of glory. Yes, here is Emmanuel, God with us, but here also is the one who is the eternal I am. When he heard that vision in Revelation 1, he's told John, He's told to write letters. He says in verse 19, Write therefore what you have seen and what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angel of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And if we know anything about the Bible and the story of the Bible, the number seven is sacred. It's a complete number, a whole number. It speaks not just of seven specific churches. It speaks of the church, the one who stands in the midst of the church. And so each of the individual letters pick up on some aspect of who this Jesus is. The beginning of the one to Ephesians. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks amongst the seven golden lampstands, the Lord of the church. And to the church in Smyrna, verse 8, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Verse 12, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword, the word of God, a double-edged sword. In verse 18 of chapter 2, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And that imagery all draws from the image given to Daniel way back in his day of the Son of Man and of the Son of God. In chapter 3, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, the one who is complete, the one who is in all and through all and above all, and the one who is Lord of all. 
Verse 7, these are the words of him who's holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. The one who's the fulfillment of all the covenant promises of God, all the promises of God, Paul tells us, find their yes and their amen in Jesus Christ. And now this morning, as we come to this last letter, these are the words of the amen, so let it be, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of of God's creation. And it's vital that we appreciate, even in some small way, just who this is that is writing to us. There's great concern, or at least if you listen to the media, read the papers or whatever, there's great concern that our queen is going to be drawn into things politically in the near future, in the period running up to Brexit Day. Even this morning, I believe, in the Observer, I don't know if any of us get the Observer newspaper on a Sunday, I don't, but seemingly there's some story in that, that they've seen an email that tells us that the Prime Minister is going to prorogue Parliament, that is, put Parliament off. Um, I mean, they've just been off, <laughs> but off again, um, so that things can carry on the way that he and others think they should carry on in October. But actually, to do such a thing, to prorogue Parliament, for instance, he does, at least in theory, has to ask the Queen. He is the Queen's first minister. She is the head of state, and although she's a constitutional monarch, and there are considerable limitations to her power, she's not like the President of the United States or the President of France or wherever else, nonetheless, there are still certain things that she would, in theory, at least have to give approval to. And of course, there's a big debate as to whether it would be right for her to give approval, whether she'd want to give approval to some things that could at least be seen to be, well, suspect. Her powers are limited, but they are still there. The powers of Jesus Christ are unlimited, and they are eternally there. Whether anyone recognizes who God is, the God that we spoke of and heard from the psalm, indeed, a lot of the picture language she has drawn from that psalm we read earlier in the service, Psalm 89. Whether people recognize that thought, God is God by his very nature. He's above and beyond. He transcends our limited human life experience. We are, as we were reminded by Ian, we are like the flowers of the field, here for a season and then passed away. But you, Lord, are eternal from everlasting to everlasting the same. So when he speaks, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, the one who is the amen to all God's promises, he speaks, and the dead, in hearing, are brought to life. The blind, in hearing, can see. The sinner, in hearing, can be saved. And you know, my friends, it's very easy for us because we're so familiar, most of us anyway, so familiar with God and all of that, perhaps from the youngest days, that that's, we, we, we sit here, we, we make mental ascent and we say that's right, but actually it can be water over duck's back. It's just, well, it's just something that's there. That's why, for instance, I found so encouraging one or two people, both here in the fellowship and one or two people I have connection with and with somebody like Damien, to see somebody who's not a Christian who generally is thinking, can this be true? Is this what it's all about? And seeing how suddenly the glory of eternity begins to dawn in the soul 
of a man or woman. Listen to what Paul tells us about Jesus Christ. Laodicea, this position, um, is, it was between a town called Colossae and Ephesus. It was in a very prime exact place. It was in a crossroads, actually, and so a lot of traffic had to pass through Laodicea between these cities and indeed between Asia Minor, between Turkey. And so it was a very wealthy city. It was a cosmopolitan city. It was a trade, a business city, so on and so forth. One or two other things about it I'll mention. And here's a letter written to the Colossians, but probably also was passed around the church in Laodicea and the church in Ephesus. Some people think the letter to the Ephesians should actually, was actually meant to be for Laodicea. That's by the way. Listen to what Paul says in this letter that would have been the circular that would have been sent round, but certainly was one that should have been opened and read. This is what Paul says about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Can I encourage you when you go home perhaps this afternoon to open your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Colossians and read that again for yourself. Colossians 1 and verse 15. That insight into who Jesus Christ is. That is why he should have preeminence. Remember John the Baptist, when Jesus began his public ministry, John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he might increase. If it starts to be the other way around, and we increase, and he decreases in our priority, in our focus, in our attention, in what really is the the, the heart of our lives, then we're in serious ground. We're actually in sinking ground the quicksand of self and of sin, and ultimately of Satan, and not in the rock of ages, who is the refuge and strength to all who call upon him. During this past week, I I was chatting to some folks, as I have been doing. Um, Thank you, way back, a couple are actually away um, this morning, but they gave us a a Costa card, very kindly, at the start of my sabbatical, with with obviously some money in it, and they said, oh, that should tide you over. Well, I'm afraid it lasted about three weeks. (laughs) Uh, so I've been doing a lot of, uh, I've been a lot of coffee. I got a used suit for this wedding, you know, and let's say the one I looked at when I tried it on a few weeks later, didn't fit me anymore. So I had to go and get another one. It's all my muscles, you know. <laughs> anyway, I was talking to somebody else, a very fine young man, but I'm going to read something. Very, I've even got it here. I tell you what, I've even got it in bold type and italics here. So that means it's Talking about his style of work, the church he was from, or the fellowship he was from, and the style of worship, this is what he said about it. He says, our worship is in a way that expresses who we are. Let me read that to you again. Our worship is in a way that expresses who we are. Now, start for 10. What's wrong with that? Apart from a bit of grammar. Doesn't mention God. Spot on, brother. Just, that's, you're an elder, just as well. <laughs> yes, in many ways, in many ways, there's truth about it. 
Maybe it's truth about it. Of course, people find different styles of worship, different setups, and all the rest of it, a way of expressing. I mean, th- there is truth about it. Like all, frankly, all good heresy. <laughs> There's always an tr- element of truth. Our worship, our worship, is a way that expresses who we are. I'm old enough to remember when services started. What did they say, the minister? Let us worship God. He must have the preeminence. And whatever we do, however liturgically fancy it may be, however loud and raucous it may be, unless Jesus Christ is given the preeminence, and unless not only believers, but those who come into a fellowship at a service light, unless He is the one that we encounter, He is the one that we hear from, He is the one who has given glory to the praise of His Father, that He is the one that when we leave, He is the one we're thinking about, not how well the praise band did, or how nice the minister looked, or anything else unless he is given the preeminence, then we're losing sight of the point of all. Jesus, what a beautiful name. Son of God, Son of Man, Lamb that was slain. And so let's stand and worship God. Just to say, it was listening to that song. I had an old CD on in the car. He actually, Damien asked to put on music. I told him it was Christian music. He wanted to listen to it. It was actually listening that. After listening to that song, he asked me, can you pray for me? Jesus, what a beautiful name. But it's a challenge, isn't it? Look to what he says. And indeed, many ways, there's not much more. I mean, many ways, it's quite clear what he says, isn't it? I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. There used to be an old remedy, probably not recommended nowadays by the the medical fraternity, that if you were feeling sick and in a sense you felt you should be sick, one of the ways to do it would be to drink a a glass full of lukewarm water with a wee bit of salt in it. Um, And that would soon, yes, by the way, I'm not advertising that as a cure, isn't it? But it makes you sick. And literally, that's what Jesus is saying. Imagine saying that. I mean, if we ever say that to somebody, you make me sick. There's strong feelings and emotions. There's a strong revulsion at the situation. And this is what Jesus is saying. He goes on to say, really, why? He makes makes Jesus feel sick. And he says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel to you, to you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. They might have material wealth, but it will turn to dust. Buy gold from me, that gold that lasts and endures forever. I count you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become spiritually rich. Remember what Jesus had to say about building up wealth and riches here, but investing in the bank of heaven where neither rust nor rust or moths can enter into and destroy. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold, to, to wear, buy from me white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful naked, nakedness. 
Now, the reason why he mentions white clothes is because Laodicea had in its surroundings um, thermal springs that produced actually a lot of salt. I don't know if you've ever been in one of these thermal springs. We went a few years ago when we were in Italy. It's, it's, it's quite pleasant, but it's all the water's quite murky. And when you walk about, you feel you're walking on top of all this kind of mud, really, in a sense, which can be used, for instance, and here this morning with friends, can be used in those days as a salve for sore eyes. The, 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 the mud could be used as a form of ointment, but it could also, the water could be used as a form of bleach. I came out whiter than white after being in the... <laughs> well, Jesus is saying, buy from me white clothes to wear. No amount of bleach, even if it's Domestus, will deal with a sin-sick soul. So cover your shameful nakedness and take from me salve to put on your eyes so that you can see, see the reality, not these temporal things that can so easily lead us astray or fill us with all different other so-called gods. But the reality, how in Britain today we need to pray that men and women's eyes will be open to the reality, not just of our bankrupt state politically, socially, economically, but spiritually. And no amount of searching on the internet and shopping till your credit card is broke will secure what only Jesus Christ can bring cleansing, forgiveness, new purpose and direction and meaning, not just here, but hereafter, healing for that sin-sick soul. And you know, my friends, it's only as we become aware of that, and not just individually, because often we read this and we see it in a very personal state, that is written to a church. And my, my study leave has certainly opened my eyes to just what a pitiful state the church of Jesus Christ is in Britain today. We often talk about the terrible society we live in, and I made reference to it just a few minutes ago, but my friends, judgment begins with the house of God. Despite so-called stories of life and revival here, there, and everywhere, there are places of encouragement. Last Sunday was a place of encouragement. The story generally is one of division, one of spiritual arrogance, one of false doctrine, and questionable practices. We need our eyes open. There was the false prophets in Jeremiah's day who said to the king, oh, don't worry, revival's just round the corner. Everything's going to be fine. The enemy may be at the gate, but don't you worry. It was Jeremiah who spoke from the word of the Lord and said, no, judgment stands at the gate. Repent. And we need to pray that our eyes might be opened. And who does that? The Holy Spirit, the living breath of God. So let's sing together of that. Breath of God, breathe you life into my willing soul. Bring the presence of the risen Lord to renew my heart and make me whole. Let's sing that as a prayer for ourselves, but let's also sing it as a prayer for God's church and our land in these days. Oh, I saw an advert. I don't know where it went, when it was when we were in Northern Ireland. I don't watch um, ITV that often, so I don't see the adverts, or we do, we wind on past them. But there's an advert for a new thing you can get, which is a camera at your front door. And it means that wherever you are, you could be away in other parts. Have you seen that advert? Have you? Yeah. Yes? Oh, 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 
I'll know the next time I go to your door I don't get in because you've seen me. <laughs> Quick, it's Bruce. Oh, sorry, Bruce, I'm in Iraq, you know. <laughs> well, exactly. It means you can tell the people because there's a wee thing, there's a wee speaking, you can tell the people. You can recognize them. If, presumably if it's something you don't want to, you know, have in, you just... Don't say anything. Keep your head down or tell them what you're away in Timbuktu. Um, but it also means that if it's a surprise visitor, time you chat, I just thought this myself, time you chat and they say, oh, just coming to the door, that gives you time to put the hoover away or whatever else you may be doing. Jesus Christ is at the door. And he's waiting. And again, these verses are often used in personal evangelism and very effectively so, but it actually is in the context to the church. Can you think about it? You know, I mean, no, I'm not being big-headed. I think you know me well enough, but, you know, I'm afraid to say I'd, even, the, even I might be a wee bit put if I came to the church to get into something and, well, I wasn't allowed in. I've got keys, what does it matter? I'm the minister. Stuff that. And yet Jesus Christ in humility. Not that he's powerless, not that he's not significant, not that he's not important, but Jesus Christ in humility says, here I am. And I stand at the door and knock. And I'm sure we've all seen Holman Hunt's picture, many of us see Holman Hunt's picture of Jesus, the light of the world standing at the door. And the handle of the door is on the inside. In a sense, you can't even open the door to get in. The invitation, the invocation is for us to open the door. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Nothing more significant than gathering round a table having fellowship. I was thinking that just the other week when we had Mabuba here from Tajikistan. We've had various folks over the years here. And, and as we sat round the table, it was my grandparents actually. And I always get quite sentimental with these things. I just think all the different people from different parts of the world over the years have gathered round that table and had lunch or dinner. Friends, dear friends, when the children were young. Visitors here and from elsewhere. That sense of fellowship, gathering together as the family. A human family, yes, but as the family of God. That's the invitation. You remember the road, the men on the road to Emmaus? When were their eyes opened? Their eyes were opened when they sat at the table and he broke bread. They saw it was the Lord. And this is the Lord of the church. And notice what he says. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. This is motivated not by, I'm going to get in there and sort all this out in that kind of cantankerous way. But I am concerned. I love you. I know I want the best for you. Please. This is the one who knelt and washed Peter. This is the one who received a kiss from the traitor, Judas. This is the one who hung on that cross and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this is the Jesus who stands at the door of his church, but also of our lives. 
come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, the Lord of all the glories of the heavens, the great I Am, delights nothing better than hearing the voice of a mortal man or woman saying, come in. And as we pray for the work at SU here in our community, for all the community engagements we have, for all the different things we do as a church, as we pray for the various fellowships that we're connected with, for their work for the kingdom, as we pray for ourselves, for our own personal lives and witness, surely above everything else, our prayer is that first of all, in our lives and in the life of this church, Jesus Christ will be known and seen and heard, and who we are, and what we say, and what we don't say, but that he will get the increase. Because remember what Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw men and women to myself. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We always must live, and what we do, and the fashions we may pick up in terms of church, and all the rest of it may have their place, but at the end of the day, it has to be done in the light of eternity. This is a passing thing. What's really fundamentally important is to know that as Jesus, now at the right hand of the throne of God above, the one who will come on the clouds with the holy angels to judge the living and the dead, that Jesus, or that we have with Jesus, a room in heaven. In my Father's house. There are many, remember the old version, many mansions? Well, it might be a room and kitchen. That's not the point. But that we will eternally with the Lamb who loved us and gave himself for us. Are you assured of that this morning? Are you? Do you know the old chorus in 1970? I'm really getting major away here, you know. I have got a home in glory land. Remember it? Outshines the sun. That's life. That's reality. And we need to pray that the eyes of many would be opened so they would see the Lord and know that their destination is safe with Him. O Lord, Your tenderness, melting all my bitterness, and we could replace that in our own hearts with all sorts of things within our life that hinder us, harm us, and damage others and prevent us from a close relationship with God. O Lord, your tenderness, melting all my bitterness, O Lord, I receive your love. Let's remain seated as we sing this, and let's sing it as a prayer for ourselves and for God's church in these days. Lord, I thank you that as I've journeyed round, I've been blessed to visit and worship a number of congregations and meet with many fine folks and many encouraging things as well as obviously hearing things that are of great concern. But Lord, I do thank you personally this morning for bringing a sense of me back here 
to this fellowship. I remember 20 years ago when Elizabeth and I came to see the church and when we walked in, it was rather different than it is now, but even then when we walked in, we sensed that this was the Lord's house. Not that, Lord, you're restrained by buildings or bricks or mortar, but this was somewhere that was inhabited by your spirit. Previous minister, Dwight, had been very faithful in proclaiming Christ, lifting him up. And so we thank you, O God, that this is a place wherein your honor dwells. We don't take again that for granted. And so therefore we would ask that if there be anything that prevents us from continuing and growing to be a place where you're known and experienced and heard, then Lord, you would bring that to mind. But as elders and as office bearers and those who lead our church, myself and Karen and Ian, that Lord, as we meet and as we talk and as we pray, that you would indeed continue to open our eyes to who you are and to your purposes for us as we are part of your people here. That we may indeed, as our motto says, to know Christ and to make him known. That that may indeed be our desire above everything else as we journey into the 2020s. And Lord, I'm also conscious maybe that there are some here this morning whose eyes have been clouded by sinful action. Who've been distracted by things of this world who have lost that first love or perhaps in truth have never really opened the door and asked you in. Come, O Holy Spirit, take your word and apply it to our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.